Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. The lineup of guests I have been fortunate enough to have on recently has been amazing, and I highly encourage you to go check out any episodes you may have missed. And today's episode is shaping up to be another great one with yet another incredible guest. I am joined again by Kuka Hill, a friend, a fellow Hooper, fellow contributor at Detroit Bad Boys, fan of our Detroit Pistons, and of course, host of the incredible Locked On Pistons podcast. Koo, welcome back to the Motor City Hoops podcast, and thank you for joining me. Absolutely, man. You, I gotta say, you're nailing these intros a lot more, a lot better than I do. <laughs> nah, man, I just like to give uh, props and credit to my guests. Uh, you know, any more my guests are making the show, so I just appreciate having guys like you on. And uh, today's episode is actually all about you, the listener, and what you want to hear because it's an all mailbag episode. We had great participation with this and had some incredible questions submitted, which I greatly appreciate. Obviously, without you guys, we wouldn't have a lot to talk about, but I think we're going to get into some great discussion with what was submitted, and Koo and I are excited to dive into them. So let's get started with Jeff Koenig from Twitter, and he asked Koo, if you had to pick an all-time starting five from the Pistons bench, who would it be? So uh, I know we talked a little bit about this before. I'm going to let you get started, and then I'm sure we'll go back and forth a little bit. All right, so this one gave me a little bit of trouble. Um, It definitely... I'm probably for, I mean, I mean, if Keith if Keith Black listens to this, he's probably going to get pissed off with some of the guys I say because I I'm probably going to forget somebody that he knows about. Um, but so two of the names that jumped off the bat right off the right off the cup to me is obviously Vinny Johnson and Corliss Williamson. Uh, I know about Vinny Johnson obviously him being the microwave for the 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 championship teams back in the '89 '90, and then also Corliss Williamson. I believe he did win a six man of the year for the Pistons and was on the championship team in 2004. So those are the first two names that popped up for me. Um, outside of that, it was a bit of a search around. Uh, I looked over at Lindsey Hunter as possibly a pick. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's it's funny because if, if any of the, I guess I should say old heads that kind of listen to this, one of the names I thought of instantly just because of how young I am was Rodney Stuckey when Rodney Stuckey like came off the bench that one season for the Pistons. Uh, but I don't know if he would go on to there. Uh, but then the other next name I, I thought of was Memory O'Kerr when he was with the Pistons on the on the title team in 2004. Uh, but yeah, those are the names I thought about. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some people that I haven't... I mean, I, I'm sure I am forgetting some people, but that's, those are the names that came off the dome to me. Absolutely. I mean, I think Vinny Johnson's the first one, right? Like, I mean, that's a, a piss, like any Pistons fan is going to come up with that one first, the microwave. Corliss Williamson, actually, I believe is the only sixth man of the year in Pistons history. So I'm sure if Keith is listening to that or if somebody else and, and ask Keith, but I believe that is correct. So those two came to mind for me right away as well. I had Lindsey Hunter. So I was telling you this, I actually went to Keith. Like, I'm not even going to, I'm going to keep it straight. Like I went to Keith. I said, Hey, these are the five I had. Um, would you agree? 
And he actually told me that, that I should take Lindsey Hunter off. He thought Lindsey Hunter started too many games um, to be considered. And that's what gets hard with this coup is because, like, um, Dennis Rodman is actually a guy that came off the bench for a while. So does he count for this? And then Mark Aguirre was the same way. So he, he brought up both of those names to me. A guy he brought up, especially because the guard spot's a little thin, was actually John Barry and the skill set he had as a guard, a guy that could score it and shoot it a little bit. So that was another name he brought up um, along with James Edwards and Antonio McDyess. So were any of those guys, those names I brought up there, you know, kind of now as I throw them out, guys that you would consider in, in your starting five? Um, Antonio McDyess, but that's just because I grew up watching him and I know that he was pretty good before his injuries as well. And I know he played pretty well for the Pistons as well, had a little comeback like as a bench player for the Pistons. Uh, but I feel pretty, I mean, I'll say I feel pretty good about my picks. If, if Keith, if Keith's listening, he wants to front me or check me on any of these, that I'll be, I guess I'll get checked. But I, I, as of right now, I think I'm pretty, 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 feeling pretty confident about who I picked. So let, let's get an actual five here, and let's see if we can agree on one. So uh, we're going to go Hunter and John, Lindsey Hunter, Vinny Johnson in the backcourt. We agree on that? Mm-hmm. And then Corliss Williamson and McDice and Okur. Would that be your front court? Oh, yeah. I didn't, get, I didn't pick a power forward. I picked four. Um, Are you going to count Aguirre, so, Rodman, McDice? I guess I'll go with McDice because I feel like Actually, you know what? I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'll go with McDyess. Okay, so there it is. Our official answer, Jeff Koenig, is Lindsey Hunter, Vinny Johnson, Corliss Williamson, McDyess, and Mehmet Okur. So if you're listening, I'm sure, I hope Keith listens. I'm going to tell Keith, just at least listen to the first five minutes of the podcast and, and give us what you think um, and give us your feedback. But if you're listening to this, tweet at us, uh, drop a comment in the Detroit Bad Boys comment on the website and let us know what your all-time starting five Pistons bench guys would be. Moving on now, Andrew Cohn, Andrew Cohn also from Twitter, he says, looking at their transa- transaction history, how would you contrast the Stan Van Gundy approach versus the Troy Weaver approach or Troy Weaver versus other GMs in the league navigating rebuilds? So again, Koo, as the guest, I'll let you start this one off. Um, you know, it's kind of, I think what Weaver's doing, and I think we've said this before on multiple occasions, I feel like we what Weaver's doing is kind of different than I, I don't really know any other GM that has done it like him or is doing things like how he's done it. Um, when he took over the Pistons, the Pistons didn't have much of a bright future at all. Like I think we can be honest about that. And he not only did he like give them give the Pistons a, a pretty bright future, but he did it so fast. He completely changed the roster and like got rid of every single piece that was on that team in like a matter of just like twelve months. And it's kind of crazy how he did it. Um, with Stan Van Gundy, I think the things that that's different between him and Weaver is that Weaver is priding himself on his talent evaluation and his ability to find guys and and believe in guys that maybe you know weren't weren't believed or I guess I guess I shouldn't say weren't believed in, but not thought as highly of as by other GMs, but he thinks highly of like Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant in free agency. Um, so I think. I think that's kind of where he hangs his hat on. I think everyone knows that. And what Stan Van Gundy hung his hat on, um, and I think you guys, I think everyone pretty much understands this, he didn't do a very good job in uh, drafting at all. So he wasn't very good at evaluating talent coming out the draft. And 
he more so made his billing in trades. And he, I mean, I, I don't think Sam Vagnoni really ever lost a trade. I mean, I'm sure it's going to get brought up as we talk about this, the Blake Griffin trade. Uh, but I don't think there was really a trade that Sam Vagnoni lost. So that's where Sam Vagnoni really made this team. I mean, with Tobias Harris, Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, all three of those guys he got through trades. So, I mean, it, I, that was the core of the team, basically, along with Andre Drummond, who was drafted before he got there. Um, and then also even, actually, you know, Brandon Jennings was also there before he got there. Uh, but all those guys were gotten from trade. So I think that's where them two are different. Now, it's not that Troy River won't be aggressive in trades. We've seen him be very aggressive in trades. But I don't think that's where he's going to hang his hat on. I think he's hanging his hat on being a really good talent evaluator, building that core. And, I mean, maybe he does pull a, a big trade. Everyone's going to have a big trade at some point in their GM career. But it, I think that's the difference between them. He's hanging his hat on being a great talent evaluator and getting those guys that he believes in and, and sees something in. And Stan McGunny really made his work in just winning trades over and over. Yeah, that's what kind of what I took from it. So, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you know, like I, I wasn't around for the Stan Van Gundy years. Like I, I've, I've barely been around a year. I barely just, I kind of jumped on the same time Troy Weaver, essentially. So I've been here for the Troy Weaver era. Um, but the Stan Van Gundy, I was just a casual fan, you know, just observing the NBA from the far outside. And so the, the little bit I've, I've done research and just knew about it. And I, I want to get into Keith Black again, as we mentioned him again. I want to get into this more with him at some point. But I, I kind of thought the same thing coup that Stan Van Gundy not necessarily a great evaluator in terms of the draft but would you agree that he brought in talent like he made moves to bring in NBA talent just not through the draft like his draft picks were bad and then would you disagree with a lot of the moves he made because to me what he would correct me if I'm wrong again but he was trying to go win now like build the team up and go win now where Troy Weaver inherited a team that was obviously time to you know strip it down start over and rebuild would you agree with that well I think I think what the difference is it's kind of hard to say agree to disagree but I think the difference is that Troy Weaver when he came in the team needed to rebuild when Stan Van Gundy came in I don't believe they were at that point I mean they had Andre Drummond who they thought was their franchise core piece um I believe uh, Josh Smith was there, and he did get rid of Josh Smith instantly. Like it took like 25 games to get rid of Josh Smith, so he did flip that all around. Uh, he did change up the roster quite a bit. Greg Monroe didn't come back. Um, as soon as Josh Smith left, they went on like what I believe was like a seven-game win streak and looked like monsters before um, Brandon Jennings' Achilles injury happened. Uh, but I think they were at two different different points in the franchise. They right now, Troy uh, took over a team that needed to rebuild and needed to start over, but. When Stan took over a team, they had a budding young star who eventually made an all-NBA team and Andre Drummond. He needed a backcourt mate. He went and got himself a backcourt mate who uh, played like an all-star when he was healthy before he had that knee injury after the playoffs in 2016 uh, in Reggie Jackson. He pulled off getting Marcus Morris for, I mean, I don't think it was too expensive to get him. I wouldn't say that he was pushing for the now because the team... To be honest, I've said this multiple times over and over. Sam McGuinty wasn't a great guy in the draft, but I really do believe he got screwed over by injuries because the, the team that he assembled I don't think was bad at all. Like the core of Reggie Jackson, Tobias Harris, uh, Marcus Morris, KCP, and Andre were a pretty damn good core in that second half of the season when they got Tobias Harris. They were on, like a, I believe, like a 50-win uh, pace if you put it over an 82-game season. Then they had like one of the best like sweeps. I mean, they did get swept, but it was like one of the best sweeps you'll see against the Cavaliers. Uh, and then everything just went downhill with injuries. So, I mean, I think w- more so when it comes into the fact about did he really just press press for the now really only started to happen 
with the Blake Griffin trade because he really didn't press. I, I mean, I don't feel like he really pressed for the now because he gave, if he was pressing for the now, he would have moved Reggie Jackson after like he got injured the second time. But each time Reggie got injured, like they never really made no big moves. They never made no catastrophic moves or anything. They just said, okay, you know what? We'll run it back when he gets healthy. We'll run it back when he gets healthy. We'll run it back when he gets healthy. They just kept doing that over and over. And it just never really worked. I, I think the one time he actually did do the whole, you know what, we're going for this thing right now. I'm tired of waiting, was the Blake Griffin move. Outside of that, I don't really believe, I, I don't think I agree with the fact that he was only looking to the now. I think he, I, I, I think it, it worked more in the now because he just failed with what he was trying to do for the future. I think that that is true. But I don't think he did anything until the Blake Griffin trade that was basically like, screw the, screw the future. We're only worried about the now. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think, you know, he probably was trying to draft for the future, right? But, like, he just missed on the draft, and that's what we talked about, you know, earlier was, like, he had draft picks, he made draft selections, they just weren't great ones, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I'd i agree with that, even though it still pains me to my heart six years later to say that about Stanley Johnson, but I, I'll <laughs> say yeah. So, just comparing this rebuild real quick before we move to the next question with some other ones in the league. So the the recent trust the process Sixers, I think we can see that that's at least on the surface right now, it looks like it's going to be completely different because the trust the process took years of tanking years and years, you know, hopefully our Pistons did it in just one year. And then now we're building it back up with the, the young core that we need. Maybe there's still some more. I, I mean, there's obviously still some more, but one other thing I want to talk about is like comparing it to how the Pelicans have managed Zion Williamson and the Mavs have managed Luka Doncic and not them, but the players around them. Because I've heard you say this, Koo, that as soon as you draft a player like that or the Pistons with Cade Cunningham, you're on the clock. So is, is there one of those teams that you're like, man, I hope we don't follow that path because you feel like they've really not done right by their superstar? I, both of them. I, I don't want them to follow either one. Uh, well, the Pelicans, it's already sound like a dumpster fire over there. It already looks like it's its getting bad over there with Zion. I don't know if you saw, or all the listeners saw the reports and the articles written over the past, I believe, like week and a half it's been, about David, David Griffin and Zion and the playing of the piano and the and the and and all the, <laughs> just the wild stuff that's coming out from over there. It doesn't sound like it's going really well over there. Uh, it's only, like, what is it, year two, year three of Zion now, so... It's not too pan. I mean, I don't want to hit the fire alarm yet, but it's definitely not looking good. I would say so far. Um, and then also with Luca in Dallas, obviously they've had some level of success. Like they haven't really done anything in the playoffs yet, but they've made the playoffs and been very competitive in that time. And he's only been in the league three years, so it's not that big of a deal. But I, I really hope that the Pistons don't go the route of like heliocentric office offense, like the Dallas Mavericks are doing with Luca. Uh, obviously, Luca's good, and he's able to do that, but I don't think that's going to translate to winning for the Mavericks. And yeah, I just hope the Pistons don't really do that. That I mean, that's it. I hope they don't go for like a hero-centric offense with K. Cunningham, and then I hope they don't like just screw up relationships with him and piss him off. Like it seems like the Pelicans are with Zion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, I agree with both, especially with the Pelicans one. But with the Mavs, too, I don't think that fits Cade's personality as a basketball player either. But let's keep moving on because we got a lot of questions. So let's get to the next one. This one from Wes Davenport, who I actually had on the podcast for the episode 50. So if you haven't listened to that, go check it out. Wes had some great points um, during that episode. But he asked, are there any players from the top 14 of the 2019 draft that you think are good second draft candidates? Guys that could be struggling to, quote unquote, 
quote, match their draft slot or poor fits with the current team that Detroit may want to target this season or next. So essentially what Wes is asking is from the 2019 draft, is there someone we should look to trade for before they hit restricted free agency? And I went ahead and and pasted the entire first round coup because I do think the top 14 is kind of tough to find that player. If you can find one, let's hear it. Or I would say anybody in the first round. Hi, so uh, thank you for explaining it because when I saw the question, I was kind of confused. I was, I, I, it would kind of confuse me. I didn't really know what he was asking, but I understand it. Um, one of the names, I brought this name up many times. I'm pretty sure I brought him up to you before on the podcast, on my Lockdown Business podcast. First one is Brandon Clark. Uh, I believe he's, he's kind of, yeah, I think he's kind of fallen off. I mean, I talked to Sean Coleman of Lockdown Grizzlies, and he doesn't say, that he's fallen out of favor. But from the outside point of view, it kind of seems like that he's fallen out of favor a little bit with the Grizzlies. Um, not to the point of like they just don't want him, but maybe not. he's not as high on their priority list or high as high in their, in their what was the, uh, I mean, seating order, I guess you could call it. I don't, pecking order. That's what I'm looking for uh, anymore. So Brandon Clark is a guy I'd look to go after. I really liked him out the draft. I really wanted them to draft him, uh, the Pistons to draft him. So Brandon Clark would be a name that I'd look at um, outside of that, like you said, in the top 14, it's kind of hard. Um, maybe Cam Reddish, uh, he kind of interests me, but not like, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that we're not looking. I mean, I want, it's kind of confusing. I wouldn't really want them to trade for him or give up like real assets for him or anything like that. But if like he happened to hit free agency, and it's like a guy that you can go get. I'd like Cam Reddish. Um, Jackson Hayes is another one I'd like to go after if they could. Jackson Hayes, me and you have talked about him before. Um, so Jackson Hayes. And then outside of that, I mean... I think that's about it. I mean, I if the Pelicans had kept Lonzo Ball, I would say Nikhil Alexander-Walker. But with them getting rid of uh, uh, Lonzo Ball, I think he's going to take up a pretty big role for them, and they really like him. So outside of that, I think those are the only names. And then uh, maybe – actually, you know what? Yeah, that's the only – I was going to say maybe Keldon Johnson, but I think the Spurs really like him. So that's it. I think I named three names. Yeah, no, Kelvin Johnson's a good one too. I actually had missed that one as I was reading through it. But no, it's, so I highlighted, I bold four names um, before we started recording. Jackson Hayes, Cam Reddish, Brandon Clark. So um, we're, 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 <laughs> there you yeah, go. <laughs> we were three for three on it. I actually bolded one more name and I don't think it's not because I think there's any chance he gets traded. Um, but Matisse Thibel is a guy I really, really like. And I, again, I don't think he's getting traded, but he's a guy that in that draft class in that first round that I like um, as a player. But I think Jackson Hayes, like I, I think that's one that maybe could make sense and he fits the mold of the type of player we've talked about, right? Like him and Brandon Clark both, right? Kind of that 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 athletic guy, um, a lob threat. And I listened to the episode where you talked about Brandon Clark with um, Sean Coleman, right? That does Locked On Grizzlies. So um it would be interesting to see, you know, what those guys do for their te- respective teams this season, and if they do eventually come become available, and if if maybe those are guys that Troy Weaver would go after. Um, moving on now to M. Tommy um, from Twitter, he says, "Personally, I've wondered how Cade's lack of burst will affect his transition into the league. I don't think it's a problem long term, but I do think it'll make his rookie campaign a little tougher if they choose to start him at point right away." Do you see any issues like this? I know this was a thing that was brought up a lot in Spotify groom, green room a couple months ago. Um, any concerns whatsoever, Koo? Um, long term, not really. Rookie season, I prob- probably like it's not. I wouldn't call it a concern. That's the thing. Like, because if it was a concern, it's like it would be something I'm worried about long term. I think it's just something that he's gonna have to deal with. I mean, 
He's not he's not the most athletic person. I think he's a good athlete, but he's not Jalen Green type of athletic. I mean, I think that's the I think that's where everybody gets caught up at. Like if he's compared against the number two overall pick, who is an absurd athlete, and kind of makes Cade look like a less of like a bad athlete. I don't think he's a bad. I think Cade's a really good athlete. Uh, I think honestly, why I'm more worried about him in his, in his rookie season is not his lack of athleticism; it's his lack of strength right now. That's why I'm more worried about. It. I think he'll be. I, I think he'll be pretty fine. Less likely in the NBA once he plays a little bit longer. I don't think that'll have to do with athletically. I think that'll just have to do with the speed of the game, reading the game, you know, uh, learning how to play in the NBA style, draw fouls, etc. That was all those things you have to learn as a rookie. Obviously, it's just part of the game, part of the learning progress. Uh, but I think the strength part is something that he's going to realize that he's going to have to get stronger with. Which he, he'll probably do that. I mean, we just saw Killian Hayes get stronger and just one offseason look jacked. Uh, but yeah, I'm more worried about his strength. I think he'll get knocked off his spot a little bit, a lot. Uh, we saw it happen a, a little bit in summer league too. When he'll get, he'll be driving. He got knocked off the spot a few times and caused him to lose his handle a few times and maybe turn the ball over. Uh, I think that's going to happen a little bit uh, in his rookie season. Something he'll have to learn and you know adjust to and then get stronger in the off season. But yeah, that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Cade's going to be able to get to his spots for the most part. Now he he does get pushed off his you know his line at times, but I think he's going to be able to get into the lane. It's going to come down to what how Cade's going to have to figure out how he's going to finish in there because that elite athleticism like he's not going to be just putting guys on posters so does he develop just this unreal floater game does he develop that strength and then find a way to finish that way um is he just super crafty there with all sorts of different finishes I think that's what he's going to have to figure out like you say and it's probably going to be some growing pains in year one his rookie season because sometimes that stuff is hard to transition to and figure out as you bump up levels um but uh, just like you said, just like the question says, I don't think long-term that's a major issue. Continuing with Cade Cunningham, Enzo the Banker asks, if Cade winds up being Luka Doncic year one, but nobody else on the roster improves, nor uh, he puts degrade, so gets worse, what's our ceiling as a team next year? So Cade is Luka Doncic year one coup, but everybody else essentially stays the same. Jeremy Grant doesn't get better. Sadiq doesn't get better. Killian doesn't get better, et cetera. What's the ceiling for the team? Uh, play-in tournament. Okay. Maybe. That's maybe. Maybe the play-in tournament. Interesting. So, okay, so I have to because I have upper 20, so I'll just give my answer, and then I have another question for you. So I, I think we won 20 games last year. I think just by Cade coming in, um, I guess we added Kelly Olenek as well, more games and then we're trying to win every game I have us in the upper 20s in win total so I guess my follow-up question then Ku what if everybody not everybody but what if we see a growth from Sadiq Bey Isaiah Stewart Killian Hayes like are you thinking this team may be good enough to crawl above the play-in tournament so let me answer your question with this I literally just recorded a podcast about this a few days ago so let me I'm just gonna go through this and you give me an answer to each one of these okay okay yep Will the Pistons be better than the 76ers? No. The Nets? No. The Bucks? No. The Knicks? No. The Hawks? No. The Miami Heat, now they got Kyle Lowry. Uh, that doesn't move the needle for me, but they're still better than the Pistons. Oh, fair enough. I guess we'll have to talk about the Heat. We'll, talk, we'll have to talk about the Heat another day. Uh, but the Boston Celtics? No. Okay, now let's go to teams that, that that's just the first seven of the last year's conference. Yep. So now sure. let's go to teams who missed the playoffs and now have gotten better. So Chicago Bulls. 
No. Even though okay. I think their offseason was overrated, but another podcast. Oh, okay, another, uh, yeah, another team we'll have to talk about another time. Uh, the Pacers, do you think they're better than the Pacers? <sighs> Probably not, no. Okay, the Charlotte Hornets? No. Okay, so now we're at, like, the bottom four in the East already. So it's like, it's like I don't, I, even if, like, they get, I said this the other day on the podcast, even if the Pistons get better and each player gets better, which will be good, and even if Cade, like, shows up to be that number one overall pick, which will be good, I don't think the Pistons' success and how fans should feel about their improvement and their, and their, and their, uh, well, their future and development, etc., should be relying upon the standings because the East is not the weak East anymore. It's like it's gotten much improved everywhere. So even if they do all get better, I could see them, like, I guess I should, could have just said it this way, a much shorter way. They, the Pistons could get better at each position. Like, each player could get marginal improvements this season. I could still see them finishing 13th in the, in the East. No, that's... I had Jake Fisher on a couple episodes ago and you know that's why it's nice to get outsiders perspective sometimes because like when I talked about the play-in game like I could just he he said it in a very nice way but I could just tell by the tone of his voice and the way he said it like uh you guys are probably got wishful thinking and as you like you say as you as what you just did I think is a great way to do it Koo. like I mean I know it was a longer way to get to the answer but it's true like whenever you go down into each individual team now you know, injuries are going to play a factor, like, and it may play a factor for the Pistons. Hopefully it doesn't, you know, that maybe we can jump one or two teams or a team isn't as good. They decide to blow it up. But I think your overall point there, and I think it's a great point, is we could see improvement from this team without actually seeing a ton of improvement in the standings. Um, so one more question here on Cade, and that this is from Kurt Height again on Twitter. Essentially, um, the question was, why isn't Cade our point guard and we either trade Killian or move him to the bench and get a quote-unquote real shooting guard? I have a feeling you have strong opinions on this one, Koo. Um, Because you just drafted Killian last year with your seventh overall pick. That's a high. You invested a lot into him just by doing that, so you can't, you can't give up on him after 26 games. Two, um, Cade... The part that entices everyone about Cade, and part of the best thing about Cade is that he's not just strictly an on-ball player who needs the ball in his hands, and he's a high usage rate. He's a great off-ball player as well. He's a marksman. He's able to affect games in multiple ways, so he doesn't need to just be a point guard. Uh, that doesn't mean he shouldn't play point guard in spots or a majority of the time or you know, have a lot of minutes at that position, but that's not where he should only be at. Like that's If, you, if you're only utilizing Cade with the ball in his hands, you're not lo- utilizing him to his full potential. And second of all... Uh, the Cade and Killing backcourt have a lot of potential, and you really want to see if that can work. Especially, like I said, after you just spent a first and seventh overall pick on your backcourt, you don't you don't get in back to back seasons. Especially after one of them only played twenty six games, you don't you don't invest that kind of assets into that and then give up on it after twenty six games. Definitely, that's something you wait like maybe two years to give up on it after you invest something like that into it. You know what I'm really nervous about, Koo, with Killing Hayes, especially. I'm sorry, but with Sekou gone. It, I think Killian's going to be the most polarizing player this year. And I have a very bad feeling that some Piston fans are going to blame Killian if, when, if, when Kate isn't successful at times. I think they're going to blame Killian having to play point and Cade play off the ball, even though I agree with you that he can be very successful off the ball. But if Cade's struggling for a stretch of games or earlier or whatever, I think fans are going to blame Killian for that. And I don't think that's fair to Killian. Like, I, I'm just bracing myself for a very unfair um, and a very polarizing season for Killian Hayes. I hope he plays well. Can I, can I add something onto that before we move Absolutely. on? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just want to say, 
and I've said this on my podcast. I want to say it for your listeners on your podcast and try to get the word out there to Pistons fans who may not think this way or need to like just just need something put into their head so they understand how to go about this. This is not just because they got the number one pick and got Kay Cunningham does not speed up things that much. Like I know I've said that they're on the time, like they're on the clock now, but that does not mean now you just start getting unnecessarily like unrealistic and just ignore like how things are supposed to go. The team is probably going to struggle early. They're probably going to struggle a lot of the season. Cade and Killian are probably going to struggle early. They may struggle at multiple points in the season. But you want to see growth eventually. You want to see growth start to happen in certain areas. Like you're not go- It's not going to happen overnight. It won't shock me at all if over the first five games of the year, Cade and Killian are just really struggling to get a sync going or they, they're struggling to get the offense going or something. It, but that won't matter. The first, it's, it's a full season worth of things. If you see improvement over the season, that's, that's what you're looking forward to. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to happen. But that's what happens when you're a rebuilding team. It's not going to happen overnight. So just brace yourselves for it. Don't get too crazy with that after just a few games. Give it a season. It's going to be a while. I agree. I, I think that's well said. I think we, 82 games, right? We got to give this 82 games. There's going to be some weird things to work out. And let's give all these guys 82 games to figure out who they are, especially the young guys. Like there's a couple older guys that on expiring deals that maybe by the trade deadline, you want to know what you want to do with them. But these young, this young core, we want to give 82 games. So the next question comes to us from Pistons All Day again on Twitter. What's your comparison player for Isaiah Livers? And I don't know if you have one, Koo. I've jotted down a few names. I'm going to make you really upset with one of the names, even though it's a better version of this player. But Isaiah Livers, because I know Sadiq Bey is a name that gets thrown around a lot. I don't necessarily see that in the little bit of scouting I've done. I I didn't watch a lot of Michigan college games last year, so I didn't see Isaiah Livers a lot in college. So I I did a breakdown for the upcoming player previews on Detroit Bad Boys. So that's kind of the extent of my stuff with Livers. I'll be completely honest. Um, So you may have a better idea and feel for this than I do. I'd I'd like to hear your guys' names, and then I want to see if I agree with yours. Okay, so the first one is Jordan Nawara, who um, that actually comes from Steve Pelletier, who I'm working on the project with. He kind of brought that up. Um, I think he's a better shooting version of Trey Lyles. That's the one that's going to make you really mad, so don't don't jump into it yet. But Because uh, I know we've talked about how we don't think Trey Lyles is a great NBA player, but if he shoots 40% from three, like I think Isaiah Livers can and has shown in college. I think they do a lot of similar things in terms of like they're good ball movers, they'll be good team defenders, those type of things. So those are the first two names I'm going to say. So I'll say this. I had Hal Bridius on my podcast a few weeks ago when the Pistons drafted Isaiah Isaiah Livers. Um, And the thing he, like, like you, I don't watch college basketball a ton. So I didn't watch much of him last season. Uh, from what I was told from Hal, who's an avid Michigan fan and is a, like one of those draft guys, he watches draft and I mean, not the draft. He watches prospects, breaks them down, scouts them, etc. He does the little mock drafts and all that. Like he's a big draft guy. So and he, what he told me about Isaiah Livers is basically he's one of those guys that you can pencil in who should have like a ten-year NBA career simply from being a great shooter and playing good defense. Like that's he he should just have that's that's basically what he is. He's not going to be more than that. He's not going to be less than that you know what you're getting for. He's going to be a good role player for like 10 plus years. So in that sense, do you mind my Trey Lyles comparison? Because I said a better shooting Trey Lyles. Like, you, sure. you, you, so, I mean, do, does that make sense then? Does that fit a little bit? Because yes. I feel like that's what Trey Lyles, like, I, I don't want to get overboard, but I don't want to undersell him. But like, 
I don't think Isaiah Livers is going to be a starter for the Pistons someday. But, you know, Trey Lyles has hung around, started a handful of games, had one year where he averaged 10 points a game, but he's never shot better. You know, he had one year where he shot 39% from three. He's a career 34% three-point shooter. But just as I watched their games, because I did a little bit of Trey Lyles' breakdown when they signed him. I didn't do it an official one, but I did a little bit just for myself. So I, I feel like I feel a little better that hearing that from Hal. I respect Hal's opinion greatly. So I feel like I'm pretty close there with the Trey Lyles comparison, like Trey Lyles, but better shooter. Yep, I'll agree with that. Awesome. Okay, so let's move on to another uh, first or second round draft pick, excuse me, from Rocky Silopo. Now that it's confirmed that Garza is our 15th man, how will he be used? What are his number of minutes, when in the game, with whom, and his role? So essentially, Rocky's asking us, what should we expect stats and output from Luca Garza in his rookie season? I literally just talked about this as well. Um, I, I expect him to play a lot in the G League. That's, that's my expectation for him. I don't expect him to play many minutes on the current roster. Uh, when he does, I think it will be spot minutes where either one a guy's in foul trouble, some injuries are happening, or we're talking about like the end of the season, and they're basically just like, you know what, we need to see the young guys, and then he'll get minutes there. But as like part of the regular rotation, I don't expect to see him there much. I, I expect to see a lot of them in the G League. Yeah, I agree. I don't think, I don't think Luca Garza is getting a lot of time with the Pistons. I think it's awesome where he's, you know, from the fifty-second pick. Um, earned the two-way, showed enough then to, to get a spot on the roster. And so, I mean, I think it's going to be a really interesting journey for him and to see what he can bring. I think he spends a lot of time in the G League still as well. Um, and like you say, just, you know, some spot minutes. I don't, I don't think the expectations should be very high to see him like as a integral part of the rotation. I think the rotation is going to be less. I think last year, so here's, here's a question, Ku. Last year, we saw a lot of games where the Pistons played 12 guys, 11 guys, maybe even 13 guys, and, and not necessarily just in blowouts. I think that rotation is going to be shrunk to at least 10, maybe even nine, depending on what they do at that four spot and how much they stagger minutes. Do you agree or do you still think they're going to try to get the 11th, 12th, 13th guy on the roster minutes this year? Um, I think they're going to trim it down to 10. I, I can see them getting like 10 players in a game. Um, maybe every now and then reaching down to 11, but I, I don't think we'll see like the 12, 13 that would happen every now and then. I agree. So he also asked about Jamarco Pickett and Chris Smith. Um, those are the two two-way spots we have available. I don't know Chris Smith's status right now with the ACL injury. Um, do you see anything for them other than just G League time? I agree. I, I agree with you on that. So now we're going to bounce around. So the, the rest of the questions kind of bounce between it's still Pistons relevant. Some of them aren't, but this first one still has a little bit of Pistons relevancy. And this is from Casey Hiltz. And he asked about Ben Simmons as a Piston. And do you see Ben Piston, uh, Ben Simmons, excuse me, being able to be a Giannis type player? Um, no, I don't see him being a Giannis type of player. I think people are getting a little out of pocket with that. Uh, I understand what they're. I understand what they're trying to say by it, but it's definitely out of pocket. He's not Giannis. He's not the athlete Giannis is. He's not the freakish like body type Giannis is. He's not as strong as Giannis. He's not as good of a player as Giannis. Like he's just. He's just not Giannis. It's. It's getting a little out of pocket. I think that people think that. Like. Like I said, I get what they're trying to say. They're trying to say you know give him a space floor, let him run the offense, and you know 
running through him with the shooters around him basically is what I'm assuming that people when they say that that's what I'm basically assuming they're trying to say which is fine but expecting him to orchestrate it like Giannis is a bit out of pocket I think it's definitely hefty to, to think that he could be something like that I honestly think that he could be me and you have talked about this a little bit sorry to cut you off real quick but no no go ahead me, no no yeah me and you have talked about this before I actually think he's just being like that Ben uh, not Ben Simmons Draymond Green type of role that's yep. why I think he would be best then I agree. And we've talked about it and I've seen it more and more on Twitter. And like, I've just kind of decided like, I'll, I'll just die on that hill as they say. Like, I think that's how he needs to be utilized. That's, I, I don't think Golden State's a good fit for him unless Draymond somehow got moved in that deal as well. And I don't think Draymond would get moved. So I don't think him and Draymond I have a question are, for you. Yeah, go ahead. Would you, if you were Warriors, because this is something that's been talked about on Twitter and Steph kind of fed into it a little bit. He did. Did you see that interview when they I, asked him about Ben Simmons? I did not. Well, they asked him, "Do you have you talked to your GM about getting Ben Simmons?" And he said, oh. "I'll say this." Did you saw that? Yeah, yeah, I saw the quote. He, yeah, he basically was like, "You know, I'll just say this: if I'm not having those conversations, I'm not trying." So basically, like he fed a little bit into the rumor. So if you were Golden State, would you trade Draymond? If you could do Draymond and like something else for Ben Simmons, like would you tr- basically swap Ben Simmons for Draymond if you were Golden State? in a heartbeat a thousand percent and I know people are going to kill me for this and this might be one of my first takes that people really crush me for but yeah I I would I'm not saying Ben Simmons can do everything Draymond did especially in his prime I don't think as a team defender he could orchestrate the defense the way Draymond did but defensively I I, again I, I did some film stuff watching Ben Simmons and he guards every position coup like depending on who they're playing on a given night he guards the other team's best player I'm not saying he's a star at it but there's a lot of versatility when you can take one guy and you just know whether the other team's best player is a point guard or a power forward or whatever other than like maybe a big big like um you know he probably isn't matching up with Jokic or if he had to go up against his own teammate Joel Embiid he's not matching up with a guy like that but essentially he can guard 90% of the guys in the league that that he would need to and then offensively you let him set ball screens you let him roll and you let him orchestrate the offense that way whether it's going and finishing like there's too much stock being put up in the last three games of those playoffs. And I know it was bad, Koo. I understand that. And if, if it's taking its toll mentally where he can't back, get back to who he was, then that's an issue. But I have to believe he's going to come back with a renewed energy and, and mental state and, and be a lot more confident. Yeah, I also would do the trade. And I, I understand how important Draymond is. But I, I know this is a pit, basically, we should be talking about the Pistons, I guess. But last last thing I'll say about it is that you know, I think people are kind of, and one of the followers on Twitter, he's a great follower, everyone should go follow him, Jason Maples, he talks about this a lot. Um, Draymond is not the same player from 2017-18. He's not the same player from 18-19. Like, that's not the same Draymond. And I think one of the main reasons why Golden State's going to struggle, or has struggled, and I think, outside obviously Steph getting hurt that 1920 uh, season, but last year, one of the reasons why they struggled, along with maybe the roster wasn't as talented, but I think if Draymond... For example, let me just say this. Ben Simmons averaged 13 points a game in 2018-19. He got hurt. Uh, and then in 2020-2020, or not, I'm talking about in the playoffs. In 13-19, 18-19, he averaged 13.9 points a game. He averaged 11.9 points a game last year in the playoffs. Then in the regular season, he averaged 16, 16, 15. Okay? Draymond averages 7 points a game, and there's multiple times where he just doesn't even look at the basket. If Draymond could put up, 
like 10 points a game, 11 points a game, I think the Warriors win a hell of a lot more games. There's just too many times last season, and it's been like this over the last two years, especially in the playing games. I think it was really evident in the playing games. It was kind of, I, I just wonder what Steph was thinking. Like, you have to know, like, there's no way I don't believe Steph's like, man, come on, you have to like shoot this ball. There's just too many times where Draymond's like has an open layup or like an open mid-range shot or open floater or open three. Like he, they, the defenses just leave him wide open, and he just doesn't shoot the ball. So I feel like that right there is the difference. Like if Draymond was able to just get four more points up on the board, I think Golden State could win. But I don't know if he can do that anymore. I think he just doesn't want to or he's lost confidence. And even though people talk about Ben Simmons losing confidence and not scoring enough or doing all that, despite that, he's still scoring five more points a game than, than Draymond does. So I think that's that's where the slip the trade-off would be. You would I, I still think like the rim protection would take a little bit of a, of a drop-off as well with Draymond losing, but I think he would make up for it offensively with his – with the extra like four to five points he puts up and his defensive versatility himself on defense no I agree and that's what the the lasting impression of Ben Simmons right now is really really bad and I I just I feel like people have a hard time moving past that like he's had big time playoff games he's had big regular season games and I just find it hard to believe he won't come back a better player and hopefully put that playoff series behind him which admittedly was bad but I think he's going to be able to put it behind him and now he's kind of being undervalued as a player um, by a, by most people I think he's still a really good player that if you have the right pieces around he can really help you go win games um, including in the playoffs but coming back to the Pistons just a little bit Frank Jackson six man of the year season from Twitter ask who is the Pistons biggest rivalry or rival game and so I think he's asking currently who's the Pistons biggest rivalry or rival game Houston yeah <laughs> I agree that's what Simple. I, I saw, yeah that, that that one's simple I don't mean to, to shortchange you with your with the answer here um Thank you for asking, but I, I and I think this is great for the NBA coup. Like it's already happened between number one and number two. They don't even have to build it up. It's happening. Jalen Green has escalated it on his own. Is that what you call him, Jalen Green? Is that his name? No, what was it Clarence? We call him. We call him. We call him Clarence Green. We call him Clarence around here. So, but I, I think that's going to be the biggest rivalry for a little while at least, and I think that's going to be the biggest game. Um, you see it talked about on Twitter all the time. So, Matt Way and Koo, you're going to have to answer this one because, again, as I say, I'm not from Detroit, never been to Detroit. So, um, I'm going to get some notes and take this down as you answer this question. But, favorite downtown spot pre or post game? You know, it's crazy. I should probably have my fiance in here to answer this one because she would have a much better idea about this. Um, I don't go, I don't eat downtown that much. Um, but when I have the the one spot I do like, uh, and it's probably a bad, <laughs> like before a basketball game time thing or after a basketball game, it's probably not that teed of a place to go to for that. But basically, my, my favorite downtown place as of right now is Green Dot Stables. Uh, me and my, my, Matt Way will know who he is. Uh, I think a lot of you Piston guys will know who they are. But Joe Truck, Sham, Mohil, uh, I went and, and Brendan Welper, they're all Piston Twitter guys. Uh, I, we went out before, uh, I believe, it might have been before a game. I've went there twice. And I went with Vince Ellis one time as well, too. Vince Ellis, he formerly wrote at the, the beat writer for, I think it was the Free Press it was, that he was the... He used to be the uh, beat writer at. I went there with him, and it was all of them guys, and it was I really liked it. It was nice food, a very chill environment. Uh, don't know if it's somewhere you'd want to go post game. It's not like jumpy. It's not like a bumping place, but it's like it's a nice place. I like going there. It's fun, I, and I like it. The food's good. Awesome, nice. So there you go, guys. Go check that place out. And like I said, I. 
I'm hoping we get out to Detroit this year. I don't, I don't know how the ticket's going to work with me living where I live and all that, but my wife was definitely down for it the last time we talked about it. So I still got to figure all I'm gonna that give, out. I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm going to make it to where Bryce can't have a way out for all his listeners. I'm putting him on the, I'm putting him on the spot for his listeners. If Bryce can get tickets to come to Detroit, I will buy him the tickets and he can just give me the money when he gets here or he doesn't even have to pay me. If he just gets here, I'll buy him tickets, him and his wife tickets and we can go together, me and Megan him and his wife will go to a game. So I know they're doing the whole thing, the whole yeah. little like 75 mile thing, whatever. Yeah. So I'll get the tickets for you. As long as you can get, if Bryce can get here, I will buy the tickets for him. So he does not have an excuse not to come see us once. Let's go. Four tickets. We'll pay you back. No doubt. No question. I've already looked into it. After my high school season is over, there's like a two game stretch where we can like a it's like a Saturday, Monday or something like that where where we can come out and catch two games. So um, last, that's time we looked. I, I so let, let's plan on it. Um, uh, so uh, we got to keep moving along, guys. I want to get you know out of respect to everybody that sent in a question. So we still have four more here to go. So st- bear with us here. Um, we'll try to keep it to 15, 20 minutes. Pistons going to work. Ask, how hard is Russell Westbrook going to play against Reggie Jackson this year? Both of them in L.A. now. Um, the beef that goes back between those two. Um, what, the, what, what do you think that's going to be like, Koo? I think Russell Westbrook will worry about simply playing good every other game rather than against Reggie Jackson. I, I'll just say that. I think he should worry about how – I think he should worry about becoming a better shooter. I think he should worry about having to play with another ball handler like Le- LeBron James. Worry about having to play off ball a little bit and start playing defense again. So here's my question. I'm sorry to, to change the question now, but what do you think about Russell Westbrook on the lake? Like what did you think about that move and do you think that's going to work with Russ and LeBron and AD and you know I know they've put a you know former Piston Wayne Ellington as a shooter there and they've picked you know Mello and Malik Monk and and all a bunch of names Rajon Rondo but what what do you think about how that's going to work? So I'm I'm going to get blasted for this. This is going to be a hot take. I'm going to get blasted. I actually like multiple of their other moves better than I like the, the that one. Like all they're like I like some of their bench pieces I did. Like they they really did do a good job of getting guys for the cheap. They got a lot of guys for the cheap. I really liked them getting Malik Monk. I don't know how they got him. Uh Mello was a good pickup for their bench. Uh I like uh, getting Dwight Howard back. Uh, I think that was a good for their bench as well. Um I, I like all their I like all their other pieces. If you want me to be honest, I would have rather them just go out and um I would have rather them go out and just do that buddy Hill trade and I would I would have I would rather them go get Buddy Hill than and not get Russell Westbrook. But I, I, my sense is, they don't want to do what they, what LeBron's been doing his whole career anymore. They don't want LeBron just do the LeBron four shooters and LeBron carries every bit of the load. Cause I, I think they sense that he's going to wear down and that he's starting to wear down a little bit. You saw it a little bit last year. Uh, he's still obviously great, top five in the NBA. Uh, but you're starting to see him get nagging injuries a little bit now, and that's the, just what happens when you get older. And I think you see a little bit of slippage. Not enough to where he's like not one of the best players in the NBA, or arguably at times the best player in the NBA still. But you're starting to see a little bit of slippage along with injuries. Where they, I think the reasoning behind the move is, you know, we want to get another guy who can take the load off of him, ball handle a lot, and do the same kind of things LeBron can. That's why they went after Russell Westbrook. So I guess we'll see if that works out. I personally, since they're going for it this year and next year, I, I would have just done Buddy Hill because I would go all in on LeBron's like, this year, and I think LeBron can hold up one more year at least and go for a championship. So I would have just went for heel, but 
I agree, and I think the Russell Westbrook move helps him in the regular season because he plays so darn hard, and now they're going to be able to set LeBron James for you know games here and there, maybe load manage a little bit, and Russell Westbrook's going to be able to really take over those nights and carry the load. Um, but I think in playoffs, that, that lineup could be a little bit clunky, and it'll be interesting. There's still a lot of talent there. Um, so now as we move away a little bit from the Pistons or even the NBA in general, Piston of the Day asks, um, would you be interested in coaching at the NCAA or NBA level someday? Um, so I want to ask Ku first and then I'll answer that. What kind of, you, you can spin this kind of however you want, Ku. Like what, what's the dream job? Um, I, I know you've talked about you don't want, watch a ton of college basketball, so I assume it wouldn't be college, but like with the NBA, like is it, is it a beat writer? Is it getting into the, would it be to get into an NBA front office somehow? What, what would be like the, the dream job, Ku, if I told you you could have it? Um, I mean, I think me and you've had this conversation a little bit before. I don't really know right now. I mean, I'd love to be, the thing is that I used to want to be a beat writer, but I, I kind of like talking. I, I like talking more. I don't really like writing as much. I, I do like to write when I can, but I, I like talking more. I like, I like being able to go on podcasts, be a podcast host. So if I, honestly, I, I think right now my goal is, I guess, I'll set a goal for myself like the next two years. My goal would be like, I want to make the Lockdown Pistons podcast and become one of the best podcasts out there make a lot of money on that and elevate through the network I'm at right now and possibly make it like a full-time gig for myself, make it because it's possible. So maybe that, that's kind of the goal I want to be. But I, I mean, I guess ESPN talk on like shows like ESPN be like on TV and stuff. That's what I want to do. I want to be like one of those talking heads. That would be awesome. Yeah, that's, that's legit. I love that. So um, Piston of the Day, to answer your question, so my wife won't allow me to go coach college basketball or go back to college basketball. So I, co- I was the director of basketball operations for one year after I graduated from American um, and then decided to move back to Kansas. Like I really wasn't sure that's what I wanted to do. And um, that's a whole nother story. But now that I've gotten back into all this stuff, I, I would say my absolute dream job if I could like turn what I'm doing right now into anything, like I think it would be sick to be a front office scout for like Troy Weaver and the Pistons. And like, just like Troy Weaver says, okay, I want you to go check out the Nuggets and the Kings tonight. And I want you to scout whoever I want you, you know, and, and make me, you know, as you guys know, or maybe some of you don't, what I do Detroit bad boys is I put videos together and, you know, of my little breakdowns, like do something like that, where then I take it back to Troy Weaver, somebody in the front office and like, all right, here's so-and-so player. And here's what I saw. Here's what I thought about him. Like I would just being a scout would be sick. I think that would be so much fun. Um, so I guess to answer your question, I would be interested. Um, I, my wife doesn't always listen to the podcast, so hopefully this is one she skips because <laughs> she may not <laughs> she, she may not like that answer. The other day she's like, "Are we gonna have to move to Detroit someday?" And I'm like, "I don't know, babe. Like if it gets big enough, maybe that would maybe we could do that." But um, no, I, I think that would be awesome. That would be cool. I think working in a front off, office would just be so so much fun. The conversations and and all of that. So. Um, it would be fun here. It was fun here in Detroit. You guys would like it. I know. We're excited. We're excited to come see it for sure. So two more questions here, guys. Um, each of them from um, close friends of, of me and Koo. The first one is actually from my best friend um, since middle school. Um, and he only follows the Pistons now because I do what I do following the Pistons and the podcast and everything. And so he asks, he goes, how many current Detroit Pistons could you be in a three-point contest? So, Ku, I'll let you start off. I can't, I'm not going to beat anybody in the three-point contest. It's not going to happen. 
them NBA players are, are something different. That like even you could take the worst NBA shooter on the NBA on the Pistons roster. And I'm assuming they would still beat me because that's how good they are. So I'll let Bryce do it. Bryce is a D1 player, so let's see what Bryce thinks. Um, so I know why he asked me this question is so I could. He's trying to give me a chance to brag a little bit, and I'm not gonna do it, but. So I came up with three reasons why I probably wouldn't beat as many as what um, maybe I would think off the top. One, I've never really shot from the NBA three-point line. Um, And like whenever I go and shoot at the gym right now, it's just a high school line, which is significantly shorter. Um, I would need a couple weeks to get back into it because I haven't shot a basketball for a long time. We're in football season right now. And then the other thing would be like, it would depend on the context. Like if it was getting videoed or there was a crowd or something, like that'd be a lot of pressure all of a sudden. And my confidence wavered a little bit whenever I was in college, I have to admit. So um, I, I do shoot it pretty well. Like, you know, like if you just, you know, had me shoot 100 shots on the shooting machine or something, like I do shoot it pretty well. I, I will sit, like, I don't know what an NBA player makes out of 100 shots. So if I knew that number, I could give you a better idea. But the three, the NBA three-point line would probably be the biggest kicker there. Like, obviously, my numbers would go way down shooting from the NBA three-point line. You're dodging the answer, Price. How, how many do you think, how, is there anyone on the Pistons roster you could beat? Yes, I think I th- there are. I, I think, I, okay, there okay. you go. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> okay, so okay, so let me ask the question: Am I shooting from the NBA three-point line? Yes, but you can pick any spot. So if you want a shorter spot, go to the corner. Okay, I hate shooting from the corner. I like the wing, but uh, yeah, same here. Do I get a couple weeks to prep? Sure. Do is there a crowd and is it videoed or is it just like me and said player and a few other people in the gym? It's 100% being video. Okay. That's a little more problematic because, okay. Jeremy Grant, no. Olenek, no. Cunningham, no. Killian Hayes, maybe. Hamadou Diallo, maybe. Josh Jackson, I'm going to say yes. Corey Joseph, maybe. Isaiah Stewart, maybe. Frank Jackson, no. Sadiq Bey, no. Trey Lyles, probably not. Rodney Magruder, Probably not. Saban Lee, yes. Isaiah Livers, no. All right, so what was that, three or four yeses? Yeah, like, I, I'll be honest. Like, if, if I have to shoot from the NBA three-point line, I don't know. Um, I've never shot, uh, like, 100 shots from the NBA three-point line. I know what I can make from a high school line. And so that's what... about what, college? Yeah, a college line's not going to affect me that much. Like, the NBA three-point line, like, really, really starts to affect my number, I think. So, like, I know what I can make out of 100. I would say if I got pushed to the three-point line, the NBA three-point line, it would drop that number by at least 10 or 15, at least. So, All that, right, so give me, a, give me a number that you think you could make. If you, had, if you shot 100 threes from a college three-point line, what you think you're making? If I'm in the gym by myself, I can make anywhere between 85 and 90. <sighs> okay. You don't believe me? No, no, that's just a lot. That's a, that's, that's a, that's a lot. The, so that's what I'm saying. So like if we move to the NBA three-point line, I honestly think my number could drop to like 70. So how many NBA players don't make 70 that's out of 100 from the NBA? <laughs> I don't know. It may drop it more. It may drop it more. I don't know. I've never done it from the NBA three-point line. I think you could be a few of them. I think I could get I, – I, I, 
NBA three-point line, I don't know if I get any of them. If I get to shoot from the college line, I do think I'd be a few if they're still shooting from the NBA line. Um, so I don't know. And like I said, I may completely here's – the, here's the biggest caveat, Koo. I'm probably caving to the pressure in the moment. So none of it really matters what I can do in a gym by myself, how many I can make, because I'm probably caving to the pressure of the moment whenever it happens. So um, – but – All right, last question is from our guy, your guy, Hal. And uh, he asked two different questions. First question, who is the NBA player you've disliked the most and why? And then what's your biggest NBA player pet pet peeve? So first question, who is the NBA player you've disliked the most and why? Um. I, you know what's crazy is I had a different answer before this, but ever, after the last 24 hours in the NBA, my answer is now Kyrie Irving. So that Kyrie Irving is now the person I dislike the most based off the last 24 hours. Uh, my biggest pet peeve from a piss, uh, not piss, from an NBA player would be um, there's there's a couple things I really don't like from NBA players. Um, <laughs> I don't like it when they so like if you miss a rotation defensively, it really gets on my nerves. Uh, if if you're just like standing around, if like okay, actually this one probably is it right here. Missing a rotation, no. But if like the rest of the team has made multiple rotations and then you're just standing and you missed like the final one that would close out defensive possession, that really gets in my damn nerves. Like if everyone else is making their rotation and trying hard as hell, and now you're just standing, you miss out on the rotation. You're, you, oof. I don't know if I want to watch again. I, I may turn the game off. I love it. So, because I, I was going to go with something like that also, but I was like, okay, this is just the high school coach in me, and like people are going to think I'm dumb. But so I love that because you're right. Whenever the, all these rotations happen, and then you can see the dude that's supposed to make the next rotation just standing in the lane looking around with his hands up like it's somebody else's job, that's definitely huge. So, the two I had along those lines, I hate ball stoppers. So, like the guy that catches it and has to dribble or doesn't make the one more pass or isn't a ball like I hate ball stoppers so as you can imagine like James Harden isn't the my the guy I like to watch play the most the funny thing is Alan Iverson's one of my favorite players of all time so I guess I'm going to contradict myself but I don't like ball stoppers and I hate when guys don't run back on defense coup it drives me crazy <laughs> and then Fair enough. The, the other thing, and it kind of goes with that, I hate when they argue a foul where they obviously fouled. Like, if you want to argue some of these calls, like you're an NBA player, you're making millions, that's fine. But it drives me crazy whenever they show the replay and the dude smacked the guy, offensive player in the face, and they're still throwing their hands up arguing at the refs. That stuff drives me crazy. You want, you know what I know what makes it even more stupid when they do that is that, like, so like on top of that is that even if you didn't follow him, like, I understand arguing if you didn't follow. I'd argue, too. I, I used to argue all the time with the refs. It used to get me in trouble. But uh, it, it doesn't change. the. They're not going to change the foul call even if you argue. So then if you add on top of that, you know you fouled them, and then you're still going out of your way to argue, and you know it's still not going to change. Now you just look even more dumb. You just you just look even more dumb. And I, that does get on my nerves, too. Yeah, I it drives me crazy. And I know I'm dodging the dislike. Like, I had a really hard time coming up with that one. And I'm with you on Kyrie Irving. Um yeah, you know, he he's a he's a different cat, that's for sure. And uh, I don't know. I, I said to my wife, I I said, man, the the and I don't talk about COVID stuff. My, 
you know, it's such a polarizing topic and, and it's, it's so hard. And my wife went through a lot of stuff as a nurse. nurse. We've talked about this off air before, but um, I told her, I said, man, the NBA is kind of the, the COVID protocols and the vaccine stuff kind of guys are taking some heat right now. And she said, well, what happened? I said, well, Kyrie Irving said this. And she's like, is that the guy that thinks the earth is flat? And I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh God! I said, I said, yes. That that, that is the same guy. So um, makes sense, yeah, right? It makes sense. So um, if if I had to say one, I wasn't a fan of the early two thousands Lakers. So even though I wasn't a Pistons fan back then, I think uh, Pistons fans would appreciate that because I assume most weren't fans of that team, those teams either. So I was not a fan of the early two thousands Lakers. That was the best thing I could come up with. I didn't really like those teams. Well, the other player you named was also going to be my next player. I, I also hate watching James Harden. I know how great he is. He's a great player, but I absolutely, I, I hate watching him. I, I, I would rather watch, like, I know this is no joke either. This is legit, this is legit no joke. I would rather go back and watch the, watch the games where I used to sit at the TV and hope that Stanley Johnson would play well and hope that Sekou would play better rather than sit here and watch James Harden dribble 5,000 times in a singular game. I just, I can't. I, I'm sorry. I know he's great. He's a damn great player, but I, I can't. I just can't do it. I agree. And you know what? Like again, I love that you say it that way because I feel like sometimes it's okay to not aesthetic. Excuse me, aesthetically like watching a player. That's not diminishing his greatness. It's not discounting what he has done. It's not empty stats. It's not like it's okay to not enjoy watching a player play basketball. And, and I feel the same way about James Harden. If he's on TV, I'm probably not going to watch it. But that doesn't mean I don't respect his greatness or his contribution to the game or his team or anything else. Like I just don't necessarily enjoy the way he plays. And so I think I wish we could do that more. Like. You know, just I don't think that's a middle ground, but you know, see both sides of it, and and so I I really like that you said that. Like, hey, I don't like the way he plays, but I respect the hell of of, of how he does it. So um, the part go ahead. that the part that I hate real quick, just real quick, the part that I hate the most about James Harden is not even really like I could deal with the dribbling. It's the constant flopping for foul calls and the and the and the amount of three point foul shots he gets when he just he's just kicking his foot out and not even really tripping on nobody. He just falls and he gets the calls. I guess that's more on the refs. Maybe I should hate the refs more than him, but it it, it all adds up. That's changing though, right? Like that, that rule, like you can't have the, I don't remember what they call it, like the, like offensively, they're kind of getting rid of that. Like they're not supposed to call that Hopefully. anymore. Yeah, so we'll see. But hey, we hit the 60 minute mark. This hit about right on time. So, Koo, thank you so much. I had a blast. Um, of course, I'm going to try to have you on as much as I can during the season, talk about the games as, as we're getting really close now. Um, but, real real quick, give everybody a chance to, to find you and find your content and all the great stuff you're putting out, man. Thanks, man, for having me. I, I always love coming on. I'll be up to come over whenever. But uh, yeah, you guys can find me over at Twitter at Kukahill NBA. You can also find me at Locked On Pistons, uh, Locked On Network. I do the daily podcast over there. We're going back to daily episodes this week. So it's getting started. I'm wrapping up, man. It's, ra- it's ramping back up. We're going back to daily podcasts for the rest of the year. So if you guys want daily content, you guys go check that out. For the rest of the season, we're going. Awesome, man. Thanks again. I want to continue to thank everyone listening to and supporting Motor City Hoops. I know the last month has been a little slow, like Koo was talking about there. 
with all the Pistons and NBA news, but with everything opening up, start a preseason soon, we're going to gear up, and I hope you stay with me as we work through that and into the season. Make sure you be checking out Koo's Locked On Pistons episodes every day as well. Also, be on the lookout for my video breakdowns to complement a few of the great articles being written in Detroit Bad Boys that will preview the roster for the 2021-2022 season. Episode 40 of the podcast will drop on Monday as I'll be joined by Neil Rule from the fast-growing Woodward Sports Network for what should be a very fun episode. Make sure you come back to check that one out and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.